Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees or anyone interested in child health. I'm Asim, one of the paediatric trainees here in Wales and one of the presenters for Dragon Bites. After a nice rest over summer, we're back with some new episodes for you. This week, two of our Dragon Bites presenters, Tom Cromarty and Rebecca Jones, are joined by Kerry Franklin. Kerry Franklin is a youth worker who works for the charity No Limits. No Limit is a charity that aims to provide support for young people through information, advice and counselling services. Kerry Franklin spends a lot of her time working in emergency departments providing this sort of advice and support to children and young people. She'll be joining us for the next two episodes explaining what her role involves and what we can do as frontline clinicians to help better support our children and young people at times of personal crisis. Anyway, let's get started. Welcome to another edition of Dragon Bites, and today we have a fantastic guest in the shape of Kerry Franklin. Well, thanks very much for joining us today on the podcast, and uh, to start with, um, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, how you got into the role that you're in, and uh, and a little bit about No Limits itself. Thank you. Okay, um, so my background starting way back I first started studying um, social care and I spent quite a bit of time being a nanny did a bit of traveling Um, when I come home um, after a number of years my mum really missed me so I ended up getting a local job um, and becoming an engineer which is really weird Um, but I was I was quite good at it and uh, some of those skills Uh, are transferable so I'm really good at problem solving and seeing how processes flow and how to improve things. Um, Then I had a bit of a career change I decided I really wanted to be a teacher so I did a different degree in teaching and learning and that kind of basically opened the door to really recognizing that education wasn't just about the the grades that young people can achieve because I just saw there was a massive gap in the emotional support side in education um and and that's kind of sparked my passion for uh kind of really homing in on emotional development of young people because once they've got that they are more equipped to achieve uh, positive outcomes in life so I gave up the teaching uh kind of career and looked at supporting young people with emotional um, and social inequalities which then led me to working within No Limits so yeah uh, a massive career change but absolutely the one that's given me that spark to get up in the morning and make a change in people's lives so really positive. (laughs) Amazing And, and how did you find No Limits then is that something that existed already or? It's, so No Limits has been around for 27 years. I was a little bit cheeky and just did a Google search for term time jobs because uh, at the time I was a single parent, well, still am. Um, and um, so I kind of really liked keeping the term time aspect of it. And they had a vacancy for someone in their early help team um, to do sexual health 
education in schools across Hampshire. So I took that role, which then led to doing early help and support work for vulnerable young people. So the sexual health role was based on uh, going into schools and doing short interventions with vulnerable young people that could be at risk of teen pregnancy or um, potentially in um, less positive relationships and stuff like that being vulnerable. So, um, and that was kind of Hampshire wide. Um, and then, of course, COVID hit, so all of the schools closed. But we already had this back burner idea of working in the emergency department. So I, it just, even just the name of the job role just really spoke volumes to me. And so I did like a six month secondment and I've been there for nearly two years now. So and the, the sexual health stuff is still going well. <laughs> <laughs> so you're doing both those roles, are you? Well, I take I take what I've learned from the sexual health role and I use it um, with young people at the hospital because a lot of the young people I see, um, I'll ask them, you know, are you in a relationship? What does that relationship look like? Do you feel safe? What's your partner like? Uh, you know, is, is your sexual health up to date and stuff like that? So I'll signpost and, and talk about like chlamydia and uh, how to prevent unplanned pregnancies and stuff like that. So all of the all of the skills within No Limits are interchangeable into this emergency department role. That's amazing. And and can I just clarify which ages uh, do you see? Um, lots of paediatric departments where I've worked are up to 16. Once they have their 16th birthday, then they get kind of seen by the adult team. So um, how does that work? Yeah, so um, No Limits as a service, we support young people aged 11 to 25. Um, and the in the emergency department at Southampton, when the young person reaches 17, they can decide whether they want to go into the paediatric side or the adults. Um, and then obviously from 18, they go to adults. Um, sometimes like if they've got a learning disability or something, then they will automatically be put in to the paediatric area. So I can see some of those older young people. Um, and then because um, Southampton in particular, we do support up to the age of 25. I'm quite often in the adults emergency department as well, um, seeing young people in there. So, And with we've you know touched on it a little bit and it might seem obvious to some but what why do we need why is it important that we have this contact support workers in the emergency department like um are there a lot of unmet needs that the in the communities yeah i think it's it's not necessarily unmet needs um we have a lot of young people that aren't aware of all the local services that are are available to them. We have a lot of professionals that aren't aware of uh, the local services that are available to young people and their families. Um, and I think Southampton is quite unique that No Limits offers so much support in one um, area or like one organisation. So in other cities, you might have a domestic violent team, you might have a homelessness team, whereas Southampton, most of those services are held within No Limits or No Limits holds the contract for the council 
to support that age group within the city. So when you have young people and their families who might end up in a crisis, let's say a family falls apart and the the parents get divorced, um, the children are quite often left with emotional imbalance and there might be financial implications to that as well. Um, Education might suffer, you know, it's the whole picture that actually somewhere like No Limits can help support that young person and their family with with so much that's going to happen within that young person's life. So whether it's, you know, um, finding a job, changing their career, um, you know, uh, implementing support at school, finding them a social group if they need to move house, you know, it's, it's all of those kind of things that No Limits does. And, and I think as well, like with a lot of services, um, we hear quite a lot about CAMS, um, which is the Child and Adole- Adolescent Mental Health Support Network. They quite often have long waiting lists um, and then the, the thresholds get higher. So then you have young people that don't meet the threshold or they're potentially near the threshold, but they need support now but CAMS can't support them now. So somewhere like No Limits or Mind or other other organisations can fill some of those gaps. So when you have a young person that then goes to the hospital, you can offer that support immediately rather than relying on them to, to either know about those services or speak to somebody about what's happening in their life. So it's just kind of opening the door while they're there, really. So yeah, yeah grabbing that, that contact. Sorry, Tom. No, Sorry. you got. It's just just saying that it's like getting that contact, getting them while they're there, rather than saying, "Oh, there's this place you can go, and you you're there, and you can say, look, 'Look, I'm a presence. I'm here.' That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I've, yeah. I, I've always seen that that found that part of it really difficult when you've got someone who you know, doesn't meet the threshold to come in to hospital. They don't need to be in hospital. And often that's not the best place for them anyway. But also there is that, like you say, that referral to CAMS, which can take weeks when, you know, when you've you've heard how difficult it is at the moment, like every hour is difficult. And you could see that waiting weeks must just be unbelievably hard for the whole family unit and the damage that could be done in that time. So I think it's really useful to have something that can bridge that gap yeah we were talking about you know why it's important to catch them at that point is that what you kind of are calling those kind of reachable moments yeah that's exactly what it is um and and it's really critical to to making that change in somebody's behavior or not necessarily changing their behavior but actually giving them options to be able to change um so one of the things that we do, um, the, the reachable, uh, I call it reachable stroke teachable moment, um, is based on the theory that if, it, if a person's in a, a place of crisis, the brain will naturally assess the situation and try to resolve it. But quite often when you've got a mental health crisis involved in that, and you don't know what any of your options are, you're not going to be thinking clearly to be able to resolve that situation, which is why we have so many young people and adults 
who are just stuck in a circle going round and round because they don't know how to resolve their problems. So when that person's in that moment, so let's say, for example, they've taken an overdose because they just didn't know what else to do. Um, in their head, their only option is just to end it all, right, call it a day, this isn't working out for me. Whereas when they come in and interact with a youth worker, the youth worker is able to sit with them and just pick apart their life and say, right, what's happening at home? What's happening at school? What, tell me about your friendship groups. Tell me about your relationship. And you can then just start to to almost take the puzzle and piece it together and see what's not fitting and not, not, what's not working out. And then we, we're able to, to signpost or to do the referral that offers somebody some counselling. Right, you really need to talk through this problem with somebody. You're obviously going through a bereavement or, you know, something or you haven't transitioned well from that experience and you've got a bit of post-traumatic stress that's related to that. Um, you know, and we're able then to signpost into... Um, no limits in particular we have our own domestic violent team we have our own drug and alcohol support team we've got a team for young carers we've got um our sexual health team that's got a sexual health nurse as well we've got our own mental health team counselors so no limits in that respect is quite unique i literally just need to send an email to a different team and say right well, i'm sending this person your way um and, and if it's something that we don't do, then we will signpost outside of our organisation. Like um, Frankie is our local um, sexual assault support group because it's a targeted intervention. Um, but we are linked in to them. So it's it's an easy referral path to give somebody that support. So instead of leaving the emergency department, still essentially in that crisis, they've left the hospital um, with a plan and support and referrals and somebody's going to phone them and somebody's going to look after them for the next three or four months and you know if they're on a CAMS waiting list that's okay because the six months that you're waiting to be seen you can access no limits for support um, so it's not a long wait you know that support is right there in that moment so it, it's it's about targeting that brain development moment in the trauma and result, helping to resolve those issues with the support. Yeah. Yeah, because I think it's really important to know what, obviously know what uh, support mechanisms and uh, facilities and people that you have that you're aware of. And I think uh, just speaking personally, um in Wales, we have um, a kind of online resource called mindhub.wales, and, and it's got um, all of the various emotions that children can feel and young people can feel. Um, and then it's got targeted resources there. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't specifically, I haven't used them personally, and I don't know the people that are, are running them. So that's where I think that where you're coming from and knowing all those services and having that really in-depth knowledge that you have, you know, it means that you can say to this young person, you know, I've, I've seen 10 other children, young people that have used this service and they found it really useful. And, 
I don't know, it just makes it more personable and, and more real. Um, whereas I just kind of say, you know, I just try and be as compassionate as I can and say that there are loads of resources on this website. Um, check it out uh, while you're waiting for the next next thing. So I think that's awesome that you guys do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it sounds awesome because I've not worked in ED, so I don't, I, I haven't seen, I've only seen the children that have then gone on to be admitted. So it kind of is wondering from from you and Tom, you might be able to input on this as well, have been someone who works in ED. But like how how big is this as an issue? Like is there do you are you just constantly seeing children that just need that extra support? I think um before so we started this pilot project um probably about three or four months before the pandemic. And me and my colleague Denise were seeing maybe one or two young people coming in with a mental health crisis a week, but then we weren't working as many hours. So um, I think essentially the biggest thing that we've seen through the COVID is the impact that it's had on mental health um, and not necessarily the vulnerable young people that you would expect to have mental health issues it's um we were seeing lots of families who um you know their whole working life has changed a parent might have lost a job and that's had an impact on the family and so the the increase in numbers that were coming through was definitely um highlighted through that um, and I think one of the other biggest impacts was like isolation um, and loneliness as well. Um, and I know at Southampton and with all of our other hospitals that we're currently working in, like things like eating disorders have massively increased um, and stuff like that. So it's um, it, it's a changing situation. Um uh, again, like recently, I've noticed a, an increase in violent crime as well, um, domestic violence and, and uh, targeted violent crime, knife crime in particular, county lines issues that are happening. Um, like it, it's where the youth worker will then use the skill sets to be able to to recognise those current situations and how best to deal with them and what action needs to be taken. So. Like we've recently linked um, more in with the, our local Met because we're seeing a lot of very vulnerable young people come through. Wow. Um, yeah, I suppose my only input there would be clearly the numbers of people that are coming in in crisis has gone up. Um, but one of the questions I wanted to ask you, uh, Kerry, was lots of the time, you know, once they're in crisis, you know, we've almost not we've not missed the boat, but. I always think there's so many potential children that we could stop getting to crisis if we had people like you in the department not talking to the ones who are in crisis, but talking to almost all families and almost, you know, it's almost like a one-stop shop of people come and, and we're not just thinking about the the sore ankle or they're the coming with a baby that's upset. 
and we can just get them to almost, I don't I don't know some somehow address lots of inequalities that are going on in the background before they become a massive issue and um, what do you think about that so are you, are you mostly seeing people in crisis or do you think there's a role for seeing people before they get to crisis I mean there's always um, early intervention is always going to be the key to reducing the numbers of young people that um, present in any crisis situation um, and, and again uh, no limits is quite unique that we have our early help team who go to we link into every single community school within Southampton and all of our major colleges so we've got I think we've got about 12 schools and four colleges we also link in with the freshers events that are happening in universities as well and those the school drop-ins are weekly or sometimes two times a week and they are spaces for young people within the school to come and see us they're an opportunity for us to engage in schools um, PSHE days. So we'll go in and do special assemblies. We'll go in and do talks on current things like um, online safety, um, knife crime. We did a big thing on um, before COVID. Um, and we talk a lot about we do the drug and alcohol sessions with young people and the sexual health stuff as well. So most of the young people I would say in Southampton have either heard of No Limits, they've either seen us or they know somebody who has got support from us. Um, so there's definitely the gap that's filled in an early intervention sense that way. Um, in the emergency department, if there's nobody that kind of stands out to me that they're in a crisis and I might have a 15-year-old who's twisted an ankle playing football, I will still go and see that 15-year-old and just do a brief like, hey, how are you? You know, what's in it? how have you hurt yourself? And, oh, you know, what other interests have you got? So it's just about engaging conversation and either letting them know about the service or giving them an opportunity to talk about a problem that they might have that they haven't talked to anybody about. And I quite often get young people disclose stuff to me in those incidents that I'm then able to help, you know. So I, I've, I've had a young lad who came in like with a, a broken nose playing rugby um, but his relationship had just broke down and he was feeling really suicidal, but he didn't want to tell anyone. So it was it's things like that that often, you know, they don't have to be a standout crisis moment. All young people have something that they might want to talk to you about. Yeah, yeah. And um, I suppose there's there's those exact examples. I mean, if there's anything that people sometimes do in, in emergency department, it's wait. And I think that's an opportunity to possibly have those conversations uh, some of the patients I'm thinking about is you know children and young people coming in with chest pain or abdominal pain um who you know we we do our, our uh, examination and and taking a history and maybe some investigations and don't come to any um real cause for specific cause that we're worried about and just you know encourage them that it's, it's not significant at the moment. These are the things to watch out for. And I think often probably coming into that is some psychosocial aspect to it, um, that it's not really 
I don't know if we've got the time to really go into that and um, we can signpost to resources. But I think those patients, were, you know, would be really benefiting from, you know, the kind of uh, heads assessment and, and going into more detail. Similarly, parents coming in with babies who are, you know, crying and upset or some other issues, we know it's a really stressful time um, and they probably can do us some support. So, um, yeah, those kind of other other times when I think it might be really interesting to see what support workers can do. Yeah. A, a lot of the, the medical team in Southampton will will often say to me, Kerry, we've seen this young person. They're medically fit. You know, I hear that phrase a lot. Um, and they, they're like, but I just wonder if you could pop in and see if they're okay. And quite often it will be like abdominal pain, chest pain. And I've then got the time to be able to sit and ask those questions about their emotional well-being um, and stuff like that. And there will be an underlying anxiety issue with that young person, you know, whether it's exam stress or bullying or something, you know, um, uh, quite often I have young people say, um, I'm attracted to the same sex, but all I hear at school is like everyone shouting gay and like, I'm, it really worries me. And like, or, you know, some of my family aren't accepting of that. So it's, it's still, although it's not a medical problem, it's an emotional problem that's caused them chest pain. And, and it's quite often right. The medical team are right. They did need to see me or, or one of our other youth workers because I've been able to help um, where, you know, and the, the medical team, if they are medically fit, they've done their bit and then I can go and do my bit. So it, it's, it's really valuable for young people like that, especially. And I just wanted to say thank you to Kerry Franklin for joining us this week and to Tom and Rebecca for hosting the episode. Join us again next week for the second half of this interview. Thank you for listening to Dragon Bites.